Hey, this is Josh Davis. I'm the pastor at Grace Point Fellowship, and this is our podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so we can get you these messages every single week. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. I remember uh, as a kid, I heard this joke about Bill Gates. Now, you're probably familiar with Bill Gates, right? He's the co-founder of Microsoft and uh, Windows computers, all that kind of stuff, right? That's Bill Gates. So the joke that I heard, and, and remind you, this is a joke. It's not theologically correct. So I set the precedent there, okay? Bill Gates, uh, he dies and goes to heaven. And so he has this, this interaction with Jesus. He's there with Jesus at the gates to heaven and and Jesus looks at Bill and he's like, you know, Bill, um, you've done some good things in life, but man, you, you screwed some stuff up as well. But they kind of equal each other out. So you know what, Bill? I'm going to give you the choice. I'm going to let you choose if you want to go to heaven. I'll let you choose if you want to go to hell. It, the choice is yours. So he says, I'm going to show you both of those places and then you make the decision, Bill. And so uh, Jesus takes the bill to heaven. Again, this is not theologically correct. Just okay. <laughs> Jesus takes bill to heaven and, and he sees angels sitting on clouds playing harps and streets of gold and he's like, huh, this is heaven. Sounds exciting. Jesus takes bill to hell and he gets to hell and it's, it's a party on the beach, man. There are people there. There are girls there. There's all sorts of other festivities. And Bill's like, forget heaven. I want to be in hell. So Jesus says, all right, there you go. A couple weeks later, Jesus comes back to check on Bill, see how Bill's doing. And, and he gets there and, and Bill's chained up, being tortured by demons with fire all around him. And Bill, as he's chained up, he looks to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, what did you do to me? And Jesus looks at Bill and he's like, Bill, I, I'm sorry. It, it was just a screensaver. <laughs> Got a lot more laughs than I was expecting. <laughs> the title of the message today is not a screensaver. Not a screensaver. Imagine with me that, that our faith was like computer screens for a second. Uh, computer screens, when they were first created, they were plasma or these CRT monitors. And, and so they had to create screensavers in order to prevent the burn-in of the image on these old computer monitors. And so they had this moving image or moving design that would, would come up on the computer screen after the computer had been idle for a period of time in order to prevent the monitor from having this burn-in design on it. Now, obviously, monitors and technologies changed over the years, and so the, the monitors that we have today don't deal with nearly that kind of uh, issue, the burn-in issue, but we still have screensavers. They just function in a different way today. Screensavers today, they function in a way of creating you know, uh, meaningful messages. There's artwork on them. There's beautiful, these designs that, that take place, but, but think about this question with me for a moment. Are we treating our faith as if it were just a screensaver? Something to be activated when we were idle or when it suits our convenience? Do we treat our faith like a screensaver that, that it's idle and it only, we only bring our faith up, we only share about our faith when it's, when it's convenient to us? Or do we treat our faith as if it were more than a screensaver? 
do we treat our faith as if it were something different? If it had a profound reality with eternal consequences? Do we treat our faith not like a screensaver? God, we come before you this morning and we invite your Holy Spirit in. We ask you, open our hearts, speak to us today, help us to understand the reality of our faith and the consequences, the lasting impact that our faith has and our ability to share that with others, the eternal consequences that we're all destined to. Holy Spirit, I ask you speak through me into the hearts of your people, we ask in your name. Amen. We're wrapping up this series, The One. We've spent the last five weeks talking about this series. And, and, and I've said from the very beginning that this series is one of the most important series that we've done as a church. This series is foundational and pivotal as we transition into chapter two of what God is calling the ministry of Grace Point to be. We've talked over the last five weeks about a variety of things. We've talked about the wolf tendencies that many of us can carry. We've talked about the rescue mission that Christ's followers are on with Jesus. We talked about the importance of over, or, or not overlooking the, the people who have incredible value to Jesus. We talked about incredible things like Jesus' desire for restoration over punishing us. We talked last week about going to where the fish are at, going to where the people are in order to make sure that we can have those conversations, those life-changing conversations with people. As we talk this morning, we're going to talk about a topic that can make people a little uncomfortable. It's interesting how hell, the, the perception of hell has changed over the years. Years ago, people would come to church and they would get hellfire and brimstone preached at them. And so people were scared to go to hell and so they made a decision to follow Jesus because they didn't want that. And now we've transitioned to more of a, a love and a grace-filled approach to sharing the gospel. Neither of them are necessarily wrong, but I think that the, the primary and the best way to do it kind of lies in the middle of both of those. You need a little bit of grace and you need a little bit of truth that, that match in there. That's how Jesus spoke. Jesus spoke in grace and truth, right? Because if we just have truth, then you're going to beat people over the head. And if we just have grace, then we're going to have people that don't understand the holiness and the righteousness of God. And so we've got to have this, the, this marriage of both grace and truth. And there's a study that was done a while back. It, it was called uh, Hell and the Afterlife in America. There's a survey and a study that was done. And in this study, they found that they, they asked questions about where people were going to end up, where they believed they were going to end up at, after the, their life ended. And it found that 64% of people believed that after their life ended, after they had died, 64% of people thought they were going to heaven. A smaller number, 5% of people, thought that after they died, they were going to be reincarnated, meaning they were going to take on some other form of some other creature, right? Another 5% of people believed that after they died, they believed that they were just going to cease to exist. And then a, a whopping 24% of people believed that after they died, they had no idea what was going to happen to them. They had no clue. And one half of 1% of people thought they were going to hell. Not even a full percent of people believed they were going to hell. Those statistics are eye-opening. They share with us the reality, the importance, the urgency that we have as Christ followers to share the gospel with people. 
There's a reason we need to embrace urgency and share our faith with people, share the gospel with people, because the reality is there's a lot on the line. Every single person has eternity on the line. You've got eternity in hell or you've got eternity in heaven. Those are the places that you go. We have two choices, and we've got to help people make the right choice. People who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who haven't said yes to uh, surrendering their lives to him, surrendering control to him, hell is their eternal destination. It's time for us to erase the idea that hell is a concept and embrace the truth that it's a reality that we can no longer ignore. Hell is one of the most challenging doctrines for people to understand, for people to, to fully grab hold of it and believe. When you talk about hell, it can kind of make people squirm in their chairs in church. It makes people uncomfortable. They're like, what are we going to talk about? Where are we going to go? Because it's not something that's talked about uh, on a regular basis. But, but hell is important to understand because what we believe about hell, it impacts how we see the gospel. What we believe about hell, it impacts how we see holiness. It impacts how we view our own personal flaws. It's like a puzzle, and if it were missing a piece, if we don't accept the reality of hell, it's like missing a piece of the puzzle. And we never get to fully understand and fully recognize the incredible beauty and significance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, hell's not a myth. It's a real destination. Amen. Hell's not some, some vague idea out there. Hell's not some made-up concept. Hell is very, very real. But in the beginning, hell wasn't meant to be for humans. Hell was meant for the devil and the angels that were following him that were kicked out of heaven. That was what hell was meant for. But what happens is we as humans were given a choice. We're given a choice to choose Jesus or reject Jesus. And if we choose to reject Jesus, what happens is our eternal destination becomes hell. We sign up by rejecting Jesus. People sign up for, as ACDC calls it, a highway to hell. And hell's just not a, a temporary place for people. Hell is an eternal place. It's a permanent location for people to end up. Francis Chan wrote a book called Erasing Hell. And in it, he said this. He said, hell is not a problem to be solved, but a reality to be acknowledged. It's not a problem to be solved. It's a reality to be acknowledged. So why do many Christians ignore or downplay the reality of hell? Why do we, as Christians, treat hell like it's some distant issue when in reality it's a matter of eternal consequence. Amen. In our comfortable Christianity, we often forget the uncomfortable reality of hell. We often overlook the urgency in sharing the gospel with people. We get caught up in our, our daily routines, the way that we do life, and, and we forget that there are people that are out there in the world who are truly lost, who are looking for hope and in need of salvation. But we tend to downplay the urgency of hell. We downplay the urgency of, of sharing our faith, the urgency of inviting people into church. 
And the truth is, though, time's ticking. Time is that one resource that you can never get back. And time's ticking away. And if we don't take moments, we don't take opportunities to share with other people, those people that are in our relational reach zone, our relational circumference of people, our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our coworkers, if we don't take the time to share with them, guess what? We miss out because they might be just one step away from making a decision to follow Jesus. And yet, if we never take the opportunity to share, we delay in sharing, we miss a crucial moment in someone's life that could transform, that could change the trajectory of their eternity. Church, we can't ignore the urgency of hell any longer. We have to share. We have to invite people to experience Jesus. We have to be proactive to bringing the light of the gospel to people who desperately are in need of it. You look at the Bible, and the Bible is clear. The Bible states clearly that hell is real. The Bible says that hell is not a place that people long to go to. You look at the Bible, you look at the words of Jesus. Jesus talked more about hell, did you know this, than he talked about heaven? He talked about hell in greater detail than he talked about heaven as well. Let's look at some of the words of Jesus about hell. It says this in Matthew chapter 13. It says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. But when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the lake shore. They sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bat away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 25, then he, said, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is Jesus saying that hell was prepared for devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for humans. We choose to be there ourselves. Later in Matthew chapter 25, it says, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Here's what, what hell is. So you, you understand the depravity, the negative, the challenge, the pain of hell. Hell is, as Luke 16 says, a place of eternal torment. It says that hell is a place of unquenchable fire, we read in Mark chapter 9. Hell is a place where the worm does not die, again in Mark chapter 9. Hell is a place where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, Matthew chapter 13. It's a place where there is no return, even to warn loved ones, Matthew, or Luke chapter 16. Hell is a place of outer darkness, we see in Matthew chapter 25. This is why it's so important. This is why we're taking time to talk about this. This is why we're sharing with people, why we're sharing with you, why we need to urgently go to where the one is, why we need to join the rescue mission. This is why we need to become an inviting church because hell is waiting. Hell is waiting for your friends, for your family members, for your co-workers, hell's waiting to gobble them up. We can't be passive any longer. But there's a question that, that people tend to avoid. Who goes to hell? Who, who ends up in hell? 
the Bible gives us some pretty clear insights to this. You look at Revelation chapter 20, it paints a vivid picture. It says in verse 15, And anyone whose name is not recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the final judgment, the lake of fire. It was not a place where people wanted to end up. Can I tell you that? Eternal torment. If we don't like the torment, the torture that we get here on the earth, just a little bit we get, you're not going to like it in hell, I'll tell you that much. John 3, 36 adds another layer. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. We're at a fork in the road. We're at a fork in the road. Where are we going to go? Which direction are we going to take? We have a choice to make. You as an individual, you have a choice to make. So as you think about the reality of hell and what it means, remember that there's hope. There's a choice, and that choice is yours. You get to make that choice. Your heartbeat, it's a reminder that time's ticking. Your heartbeat is also a reminder of the incredible love and grace that God has for you. Amen. And it's available right now. It's available to you today. Don't wait. Choose life. Choose Jesus. Choose to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life so that way you don't subject yourself to eternal torment in hell. You can say yes to more than just angels playing harps on clouds. It's better than that. I promise you that, all right? You have a choice that you get to make. I'm not sharing this with you today. I'm not sharing this with you to scare you. I'm sharing this with you to help you understand what you can be saved from. Hell is the fate for every single person unless they accept Jesus and they surrender to his lordship. Now you might be sitting here listening like, well, man, I thought Jesus was loving. I thought God was merciful. It doesn't sound like it to me. He is. Look at Ezekiel chapter 18. It says, do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. John 3, 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's important for us to understand that God's not out there playing some sort of cosmic game where he's saying, Oh, I want to send that person. I want to send you to hell just so I can get some delight in it. That's not the game that God's playing. He's giving us a choice. You were given a choice to pay. He doesn't delight in punishment. We shared two weeks ago, God wants to see restoration take place. We go to hell by our own decision. We go to hell by the choices that we make as individuals. And yet God loves us so much that he offers a way out. He offers a way out of the torment, the torture, the pain, the agony. But if we stubbornly reject it, if we continue to resist the reality of God's love and we choose our own way, hell is the natural consequence. It's the choice that we make that sends us there. God desires that everybody be saved. His heart beats 
with love for the lost. He longs to see people come to him just as a shepherd longs to see a sheep lost in the wilderness be found. God cares deeply for the one. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says that. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved to understand the truth. God's desire is that nobody's lost. God's desire is that everybody make a decision to follow Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, it says, As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. God has a deep longing in his heart. He desires so deeply to see every single soul come to a relationship with him, to experience joy, to experience peace, to experience what he has that can only be found through a personal relationship with Jesus. When we talk about God's heart for the one, when we talk about the love that he has, it's a love that goes beyond our human ability to comprehend. It's a love that that God has so deeply that moved him to action. It moved God to send his son into the world to pay the penalty, to pay the price for our sins. It moved him to go into the world, to go into the darkness so that he could help people find the light. God's love for the lost is the heartbeat of the gospel. As Christ's followers, we're called to share that same love, that same compassion that Jesus showed to us. We are called to reach out to the lost with that same love, with that same compassion, showing people a way to the Savior, Jesus Christ, a way to the person who can transform their lives and change their eternity forever. Our calling is not just to sit back and hope for the best. It's time for us to roll up our sleeves and actively participate in God's mission of saving the lost. Hudson Taylor, he once said this. He said, the Great Commission is not an option to consider. It's a command to obey. The Great Commission is found in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus tells his disciples as he's getting ready to, to leave this earth, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. He says, go out, reach out to people. That's what Hudson Taylor is saying. It's not something that we can choose. We don't get to be option tenders in it. It says there is a command as Christ followers that we have to obey the Great Commission to go and make disciples. Our faith was not meant to be a screensaver. Our faith wasn't meant to, to sit there idly. Our faith was meant to be a lifesaver. Like an ER doctor who takes the pals and shocks the dead back to life, our belief in hell, it should shock us and our complacent hearts from the suffocating grip of passivity. Our faith is more than a background image on our computer screens. Like a screensaver, it's not meant to be passive or idle. Our faith instead is meant to be like a life buoy like a lifesaver in the truest sense. Meant to rescue people from what's far more dangerous. Francis Chan wrote an incredible book called The Racing Hell. And he wrote this in the book. He said, we've become, as Christians, we've become dangerously comfortable. He said, believers ooze with wealth and let their addictions to comfort and security numb the radical urgency of the gospel. Amen. 
it's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to forget that there are people that are out there who are drowning spiritually, who are in desperate need of the life-saving message, the life-saving love that Jesus has for people. Bill Bright, he once said this wisely. He said, success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results up to God. This is a profound reminder for us. It's profound that, that all we have to do as Christians, as Christ followers, is we have to step out in faith and leave the results up to God. Let him take care of all of that. And that leads us to this truth that if we want people to come to Jesus, we have to go to them. We've got to go to those people. It's about actively reaching out just as Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Many people are familiar with the Titanic, the story of the Titanic and what took place there in 1912. Most people, though, don't know of a man named John Harper. John Harper was a pastor in England, pastored a couple churches in England, very successful. John Harper received an invitation from Moody Bible Institute to go and preach uh, and share at Moody Bible Institute. So John Harper grabbed his daughter Nina and his niece Jesse. John Harper was a widower, and so he, he had to take his daughter with him. They got on the Titanic, headed out to Chicago, where he could share. And as you know the story of the Titanic, along the way they ran into an iceberg, and the Titanic began to sink. As people were scrambling about the, the deck, trying to get in the lifeboats, Pastor John Harper, he took his daughter Nina, he took his, his niece Jesse, and he placed them in a lifeboat. John, being the last surviving parent, could have easily jumped in the lifeboat to take care of his daughter Nina, but instead, with tears in his eyes, he gave her a hug and shared with her that he loved her, and as flares were going up in that night, John said goodbye to his daughter. As the ship broke, John had a life vest on got into that freezing cold water that night, and John made desperate pleas. He swam around in the freezing cold water to share with people the love that Jesus has for them. He went to people who were sinking in the water, who were literally going to their grave, trying to save them with the very last bits of energy he had. As he went to one young man that was sitting there uh, floating that night, he went to this young man and he shared about Jesus with him, and this young man rejected the invitation to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. John saw he was struggling. He took his life vest off, handed his life vest to this young man and continued to go around to other people who were struggling with hypothermia that night, sharing the gospel message with them. As the night continued on, he finally made his way back and ended up back with that same young man who had earlier in the evening rejected the invitation to receive Jesus. He shared with him one more time and guess what? That young man made a decision to follow Jesus that night. And we know that's true because later on that young man was saved and lived to tell the story of John Harper and the legacy of John Harper. What John Harper did, Pastor John Harper, as he gave his own life physically to save people spiritually. It's a remarkable story. We see this man who understands the urgency of sharing the gospel with people, even in the face of impending danger. He didn't wait. He didn't sit around until the time was right, till the moment was right, till the weather was better, till the water was warmer. 
He acted. He moved. He didn't act like a screensaver, idly displaying his faith. But he acted like a lifesaver, going out to, to rescue souls. And just as John Harper had an incredible amount of urgency, church, we have to carry that same urgency to share with people. Our faith was never meant to be a screensaver. Our faith was meant to be a lifesaver. Our faith was meant to use to impact people, to share our personal testimonies. Revelation says that, that we overcome by the word of our testimony in the blood of the Lamb. No one... No one can discredit your personal story. Your story is yours. Your story is powerful. And when you, when you take your story and you place it in the hands of Jesus, it can transform things. It can transform people. We just have to be willing to share our story. And it's easy. This is what I was. This is what my life was like. And then I met Jesus, and now this is what my life is like. As Christians, we, we can overcomplicate things. We make it difficult. We don't know what to say is the excuse we give. And all we got to do is we got to love people. Jesus says the way that you'll, people know you're my disciples by the way that you love. He says that in Scripture, right? We love people. And we share our story. We live in a time where everybody's willing to give you your story. Nobody's going to discredit your story. It's yours. It's your life. You lived it. You experienced it. This is what life was like. I was a mess. I was a train wreck. I was headed for divorce in my marriage and I met Jesus and my life was transformed. I don't know what your story is, your before and after Jesus story is. Can I tell you, uh, this isn't in my notes, but I just feel like I need to share it. My story is, uh, my story is the one that I, just, I struggle with. Because I don't have that, that, that radical conversion moment. I grew up in church. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was six years old. And so there are times where I'm like, man, I don't remember before Jesus. But everybody in life has struggles. Everybody in life faces challenges. And there have been some big ones that I faced. And I've watched God be faithful through the challenges. Well, I may not have a big dramatic conversion come to Jesus story. I have a story that shares the faithfulness of Jesus. So maybe you're sitting here, maybe that was just for somebody today who has that story, a similar story. And they're like, I, I, I don't have a before Jesus really moment. I, I've been following Jesus forever. I guarantee you that there have been moments in your life where your faith has been challenged, where your faith has been tested. And it's in those times of testing where our faith is made stronger. And you have a story. There are those of you that have a great before and after story. Man, share it. Share it. It's important. Don't let your faith be a screensaver. Don't let your faith be idle and just sit there waiting until you, you feel like you want to activate it. Listen to the Holy Spirit. 
Listen to his prompting, to his leading, saying, hey, you see that person over there? Go talk to them. No, I can't do that. I, I don't know who they are. I don't care. I know who they are. Go talk to them. Okay. Watch what happens when you take a step of faith and you leave the results up to God. God never asks you to save anybody. That's what he does. He just asks you to be faithful and listen to the Holy Spirit. He asks you to have an active faith. We were never called to save the world. We were simply called to share the gospel with the world. It's about being faithful to our calling and leaving the results in the hands of God. God, we come before you today. And we ask Jesus that you would use us, that you would use our faith stories, our testimonies that you've given to us, that we would be able and be willing to share it with other people because there's a lot on the line. God, we pray that we would have active faith. That we would be willing to step out in vulnerability and share our story. And willing to step out and just simply invite somebody to church. Because we know that when somebody can experience you, it can transform their life. God, give us courage today. For those that are here as we keep praying this morning, if you've never began a relationship with Jesus, I didn't share what I shared today to scare you into making a decision. I just want you to understand that hell is a reality and it's coming. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you've never received the love that Jesus has for you, you've never surrendered control of your life, if that's you today ready to make that choice with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm gonna ask you to lift your hand on the count of three. And what we'll do is we'll repeat a prayer together. Everybody in the room, we don't want to single you out. We don't want to embarrass you. We're a family of God. We do things together here. But if that's you today, ready to surrender control of your life, ready to, to change the trajectory of your eternity, on the count of three, would you just lift your hand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Ready? One, two, three. Okay, I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Would you all pray this prayer with me? Say, dear Jesus, I made a ton of mistakes and you still love me. Today, Jesus, I surrender control. I give my life to you. I'm changing my eternity. Thank you for going to the cross, paying for my sin, Today, Jesus, I place my life in your hands. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate this morning with the party that's going on in heaven? Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there's a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. 
You can also help us reach others with a life-changing message of Jesus by partnering with us today at mygracepoint.church give. And thanks again for joining us on the My Grace Point podcast. Thank you.